Want to drive greater success in social commerce? With Deloitte's latest creator economy research, you can. After surveying over 500 creators and 500 brands, our insights are helping CMOs and marketing teams harness the power of content creators. And not only that, but how to do it well. See for yourself by visiting cmo.deloitte.com today. Hey there, it's Jim Stengel, host of the CMO Podcast. We're all marketers here, so let's be real for a sec. We all know that your website shouldn't be a static asset. It should be a dynamic part of your strategy to build your brand and drive conversions. That's Marketing 101. But 54% of marketing leaders say web updates take too long. That's over half of you listening right now. And that's where Webflow comes in. Their visual-first platform allows you to build, launch, and optimize web pages fast. That means you can set ambitious marketing goals and your site can rise to that challenge. Learn why teams like Dropbox, IDEO, and Orange Theory all trust Webflow to achieve their most ambitious goals today at webflow.com. So I'm going to ask you, what's the first brand in your life you remember making an impact on you? Walker Shortbread. Oh, yeah. If you ever come to Craigellachie, I hope at some point you get the opportunity to go. It's a tiny place in the middle of Scotland, and it's beautiful. It has two big global brands, Walker Shortbread and the Macallan. They go well together, by the way. They do go very well together. When I was a kid, they used to have the, the baker's van would come and deliver bread, and they had Walker Shortbread on the baker's van. So it was a treat on a Saturday. My mom would buy some, and we'd sit and watch old movies together. And I think that's the brand that really stuck in my head and always became something special. So now I sit down sometimes on a Saturday afternoon with a cup of tea and my Walker Shortbread. <laughs> My dad got very excited because at one point I dated one of the walkers for a very short period of time. So he got very excited about <laughs> the idea that there might be a retirement strategy <laughs> going right, on right. somewhere. <laughs> Didn't work out, but you know. Hi, I'm Jim Stengel, and I help major brands find their purpose and activate it, and the profits follow. For seven years, I was the global marketing officer for Procter & Gamble, where I oversaw the marketing of hundreds of brands. You may not know it, but the CMOs, the chief marketing officers of all of your favorite brands, are trying to connect you with your favorite products and services through purpose. And on this show, I delve into how they do it. Today, my guest on the CMO podcast is Heather Malinchek. Heather was the CMO and SVP of marketing at Harley-Davidson. We recorded this session prior to Heather leaving the company. Wow, what a conversation we had. It starts with a roar of a motorcycle, and then we talk about when Heather first started riding. She was 12 years old. She rode illegally. She's a Scot. We get into this podcast about what it takes to reinvigorate a brand. This is my conversation with Heather Malinchuk. Heather, it is so good to see you, and I have one interesting first question for you. What do you feel when you hear this sound? Oh, funny. Good. <laughs> so that gives me goosebumps. Um, makes me wonder why I'm in a room like this doing this when I should be outside on a beautiful day. <laughs> we should have recorded Such a this gorgeous on, a, day. on a bike. Should have done. I guess and the maybe, sound guys would have had some that. trouble with that. <laughs> maybe a little. Maybe a little. But not if you're on our live wire. I know. New electric motorcycles. So I know. Different sound. Yes, I know that. We're going to yeah. talk about that in a bit. The first thing I want to say is, I'm apologizing because when I was packing for this trip to come see you, <laughs> I meant to pack my vintage Harley Davidson racing jersey, oh. 
which I love. Yes. The heavy cotton, yes. the yellow and black, the big Harley Davidson across yep. the chest. So I was going to wear that for this. <laughs> so I apologize in advance. I bought it at your museum shop about a year ago. Yeah. And we spent a couple hours at the museum. And I have to say, it was sort of, I don't even know how, I, I can't, I'm not sure I can tell you why, but it was an emotional experience mm. going through that museum. Yeah. I, and maybe you can help me with it. I don't know if other guests have said that. But I left there, I don't know, kind of feeling emotional, thoughtful. Uh, what, what, what's going on there? Yeah, and that, that's actually quite a common thing that we hear from people. I think um, it's, a, it's really a Harley-Davidson experience more than it is just the museum. Yeah. And, and I think for many people who say, well, you know, I don't want to go because I'm not into motorcycles. It's a, it's a wonderful museum of American history and, and some of the amazing exhibits that are in there. And I think what we have done very well, and that museum opened before I started with Harley-Davidson back in 2008. Um, we do a great job of storytelling. So from the very beginning, and we are also, um, I think there's very few companies and brands in the world that actually have kept as much as we've kept throughout our history. So you literally can see notebooks and checks that were written from the founders way back in the day in 1903. And it's just, I think the minute you walk into the museum, I, I feel that you can feel the spirit of the founders in the museum, even though it was built in 2008. I think they're there. Um, and it's just amazing. And that team um, which is actually, I, I, I'm privileged and honored to lead that team. Um, Bill Davidson actually runs the operations down there. So Bill is? Bill is the, uh, is the grandson of, uh, son of Willie G, Willie G Davidson, who was our VP of styling, chief styling officer for many, many years. Um, and Bill and his sister, Karen, are still very much involved in the business. Um, Karen's involved on the fashion and apparel side. And then Bill runs the museum and the museum team and does a phenomenal job there. And, um, and that, that is a guy who brings his heart and soul to work every single day. And, uh, and so does that team. So I'm very proud of them. They do a great job. But that, that whole campus um, really helps to bring to life the story of why we've been around for 116 years, I think, too. So. And, the, and the vintage sweaters you talked about. So um, the museum has some very unique um, things that are actually done as an inspiration from, you know, Vintage originals and uh, and I also have some of those racing sweaters and I love them. So yeah, they're so great. Yeah, they are. They're so stylish they and they're so comfortable and they're just so cool. Yeah, I guess it is that spirit of the founders and the entrepreneurship and the um, courage. Yes, and the original vision for what this could be. Yeah. I mean, to kind of help people get around in a in an age of horses. Yeah, and the power of design and styling and experience. It was all there. Then you saw how it evolved and what happened during World War II, mm -hmm. what happened when the GIs came home, and the sense of community the riders built. It was just really, um, I for any listener who hasn't been there, it's worth a destination trip. Yeah, I mean, it is a remarkable American very, experience. Yeah, it's very moving. And so whenever, whenever we're hiring people at the company, I always take them down to the museum and have them go through the museum. And if that doesn't move them, then they probably aren't right for the brand. Right. <laughs> In Good part of the way. job interview. Yeah, exactly. Um, but have them go through there because it's a good immersion into our culture and who we are. And to your point about the founders, so you know, the the business is very dynamic right now. You know, like any like a lot of businesses, we're challenged like everybody else is. And at some point, when you go back to the original four young men that started up this company in a in a garage, basically in Milwaukee, they had resource. They were resourceful. They were resilient. They were pioneering. They didn't let anything stop them. And there were over two hundred people building motorcycles at that point in time so they they went through everything so we can we can conquer anything based on the fact that that's what that's what our company was founded on so it's it's always um 
what I talk to the team about when we're in a, you know, trying to figure something out, we'll say, you know, what would the founders do? It's a great question. If they were standing here today. What would they do? Uh, how would they power through this? And what, what would they think about? Um, and that's, it's really inspiring to be part of a brand that has that in its history. We had on a separate podcast, Wendy Clark, the CEO of DDB Worldwide, yeah. and they're now redoing their logo, their website. And the logo goes back to the original logo that the founders created. Yeah. So, and she went back there and read a lot about creativity, why they started the agency, what yep. they were most proud of, what their values were, how they hired. And she's get, taking inspiration from all of that. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm a DDB alumni, so I'm, I'm excited to that. see what Wendy's doing yeah. with the agency because it's always been, I think our thing at the time was we were talented and nice. Yes. Um, and <laughs> which sometimes didn't serve us as well. Um, and Wendy, I've looked, you know, I've, I've admired her from afar for a long time. She was actually our client at DDB when I was there too. And um, I'm really, she's a very inspirational leader. So I'm excited to see what she's going to do with the agency. But I think it's the right thing to do. And when I was on the agency side and certainly where we are at Harley too, is, you know, going back to your roots and your essence is usually where you need to, you need to go. Then you'll find the truth and the authenticity there. Um, again, it's one of the reasons I think for 116 years, we were able to go and, and pivot into different spaces. And we're doing a lot of that now in the product space and other areas because we know who we are at our, at our core. Mm -hmm. And as long as you're authentic to that, then you have the opportunity to do lots of new things. So before we get too far into this podcast, I want to have sort of a speed date uh -oh. for our listeners okay? <laughs> and for me too. So I'm going to try, you've lived in, I may not even have all the cities. You've lived in Aberdeen, Scotland, London, Detroit. Chicago, Milwaukee. Did I miss any? New York. New York. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So what was your favorite city and why? Um, it was actually in Bahrain for a while too. Oh my gosh. Okay. <laughs> so well, now this is, uh, this is going to sound, this is going to sound like I'm pandering. Actually Milwaukee um, for lots of reasons. So um, we used to visit Wisconsin. Milwaukee because beats London. We, we, heard, we heard it here. Yes, right? <laughs> it does. It does. Believe me, it does in lots of ways. And I love London. I spent a long time in London. Um, and, uh, you know, I have favorite things about everywhere that I've lived. Milwaukee for me is just, I've never felt more at home in, in that city. It's a smaller version of Chicago, if you will. The people and the culture in Milwaukee are amazing. There's a, there's the Wisconsin hometown kind of sports feeling. If you're ever in a sports stadium in Wisconsin, it's, it's just I've been. Bonkers. Yes, I agree with you. I went to Lambeau Field for the first time a couple of weeks ago, and I've never, I mean, I was deafened by the, the roar of the crowd and just that, you know, just that team spirit. Um, we have a great art culture, uh, food scene, uh, and all of that happening. And then I have the joy of living on a farm on the west side of uh, Milwaukee, where I can ride to work in half an hour, but I still get the outside and the countryside, which reminds me a bit of animals? Scotland. So I have chickens. <laughs> I have chickens and fresh dogs. Fresh eggs every day? Oh, yeah. Very, very nice fresh eggs every day. Um, and then uh, the horse is the next thing that we're thinking, thinking about. about. I'm a big animal lover as well as... Uh, other things that I do. So I think, I think well, the founders were horseback say. riders before they built yes. the bikes, right? Yeah, so they, they were. were. They have a tie to Scotland too. So yeah, that's right. <laughs> the Davison it's... family do. So, uh, but I, you know, there's lots of things I miss about, it's one of those interesting things. I was talking to my, um, friend of mine the other day, you know, I go back to Scotland now. I try and go back once or twice a year because all my family's back there and my dad's passed away now, but my mom's still there. And, and, uh, I don't, I don't, you just don't appreciate when you're a kid. Um, and I go back there now and it's just one of the most spectacular places in the world. So what do you do when you go back? What's your favorite thing to do? 
Uh, hanging out with, I have a whole explosion of great nieces and nephews that happened in the last couple of years. So spending time with family is good. And then just getting outside. So, you know, I get the opportunity when I get the opportunity to ride a motorcycle there is like the, it's like, heaven. it's like heaven yeah. for me. Um, but it's just, uh, it's, it's a very, it's a very grounding experience for me going back there. It's very, um, life is fairly simple there. You know, things are, uh, people don't have a lot of, uh, they're just, it's just a different way of life, I think. And it, it brings me all the way back to when I was young and lived there too. It doesn't, doesn't change a ton. Um, but I'm also very proud of what's happening there because the economy is doing better. The whiskey industry is doing better. I come from right in the heart of whiskey, uh, whiskey country. And, um, and it's good to see that sort of, uh, what's really your go-to whiskey? Well. It has to be in the Macallan. Cause that's where I was brought up yeah. <laughs> essentially. I was, I'm from a village called Kregeliki, which is about 500 people. Um, and the Macallan is made within spitting distance of that on the size of the river space. So, um, so I'm a, I'm my a son just got girl. married and I poured my last shot of Macallan for a guest and I threw the bottle out. I must say I've had the bottle for many years, oh. <laughs> <laughs> so I have to renew it. You have to renew it. Yeah. yeah. They're so doing I, a nice so job actually of, uh, of expanding the brand and having different, you know, in the same way that lots of brands are doing these days with different tastes and flavors. So, so next question, you started riding motorcycles when you were 12. Was that legal? No. Okay. It's part of the um, spirit, right? Yeah. So the story goes, so my, my granddad had an old motorcycle in his, um, in his, uh, actually it was in his shed in his garden when I was younger. So he would sit me on it when I was a little girl and he would tell me stories about riding. I never saw him ride the motorcycle. I'm pretty sure it didn't move anywhere. Um, but he sort of started instilling this feeling in me, if you will. And then, um, was it a brand or did he build it? For- it was a, it was a Norton. Norton. Okay. Yeah. Um, I believe it was a Norton. And then um, he also got me into cars and anything to do with mechanical. And his his job, he felt, was to teach me all about these things in case I ever ended up driving or riding so I would know what to do. And um, so he sort of really um, got me excited about that. And then, of course, you know, one day I came home and I said to my mom, I was like, that's it, I'm getting a motorcycle. And she's like, you can get a motorcycle when you can afford to buy a motorcycle, which clearly at that age is not Sounds something. like a good Scottish mom. <laughs> exactly. Um, <laughs> And so um, I did pretty much every odd job I could possibly do. Um, I was never home because I was always running errands for people and doing crazy stuff. And I saved up enough money and bought a really crappy 50cc, I won't talk about the brand, uh, motorcycle Mm -hmm. and brought it home on the road, um, which was the last time it was on the road. And um, and then my mom, who, who was very principled, said... Well, I did tell you, you could buy it. So if you, you find bought the money, it you, with your money, <laughs> but you can't go on the road with it. You need to go in the field. So we were, I was out in the field. So, and then I progressed from there into uh, the time sports bikes and, uh, and riding and it always became a part of who I was. And I coveted Harley Davidson for many, many years until I, until I finally came to the U S and, and bought my first one. How many do you own now? How many Harleys? Six. Six Harleys. Yeah. Which one do you ride most frequently? Um, well, I just, it depends. So I just bought, um, I just bought an iron 1200, which is a sportster and, um, I had forgotten about how much fun they were to ride. So I have a, I have an iron 1200. I have, uh, we have two street rides in the garage. Um, we have a CVO road glide, um, and I have a fat boy as well. So, and I have a tri glide. So I use that for touring because it's really, it's awesome. Parties must be fun at your place. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, There's a lot of bikes around. So I'm lucky enough to be able to do that. And, uh, and they all play a different role. And I, I have a problem selling them. That's the problem. Because sure. you, you go on trips with, with your bike and you learn about your bike and you 
bond with your bike and you have stories and memories around it. So it's, it's hard to let it go. I think it's a common insight. I think people don't sell yeah. their bikes, right? Yeah. They keep yeah. them because of the memories. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So what's the best road trip you've ever taken on your bike? Oh, I know you've um, taken a, a many, but the best one, the most memorable one. Yeah, I think I, I actually think the most memorable one for me was we did um, essentially did Route 66, uh, went from Chicago, went all the way to the West Coast. We had some friends that were getting married in Vegas and did that. We, we actually going to the Grand Canyon was the original uh, um, opportunity to do that. And it, it was just one of those epic trips where um, it was a small group of us together. We all ride together a lot. So it becomes almost like dancing with somebody. You get to know how people ride. Um, we had just, and we rode all the way through, well, North Texas. We kind of rode through there. It was like interesting. And then into New Mexico and Arizona. And when we got to the Grand Canyon, we stopped at the hotel and uh, they said, you got to get up really early if you want to see the sunrise at the Grand Canyon. So we decided to do that. And I think that was the to me, that was the pinnacle of the trip. So we went to the to the rim of the Grand Canyon and, you know, it's pitch black. You can't see anything. And then it just suddenly unfolds in front of you. And there were 10 of us, just not, not a dry eye in the house. <laughs> and everybody just sniffing, you know, <laughs> trying not to. But it was a super emotional moment. But that whole trip was just, was incredible. I mean, there's something about a road trip on a bike where you, you literally, you can't take much with you. Um, and you have to be, and this is one of the things we've started to prove out through a clinical study, but you have to actually, you know, you're very focused, you're, it's a multi-sensory experience for you. You have to be very engaged. So you literally, I mean, I think we did that trip in about 10 days and, um, and you are just cut off from everything else in a very good way. Um, your life is simplified. You, you know, we don't fuss about where we want to eat at night because it's really all about getting on the road and traveling and. Um, there's something very powerful about that road trip and it's hard to explain to people unless they go. Mm -hmm. Um, but even if you go for an overnight, it just makes, makes everything much more special. I think any experience where you're immersed and you're thinking about nothing else is so mm -hmm. refreshing yeah. and so renewing. What would you say is the key to success for today's CMO? If you said data, you wouldn't be the only one. At Deloitte, however, we believe data is only half of the equation. The other half, story. Because data is the language of business, but story is the language of humans. And we believe the most successful CMOs know how to harness the power of both data and story. To learn more about Deloitte's CMO program and how we can help today's CMOs succeed, visit cmo.deloitte.com. So what's the favorite tattoo you've ever seen on a Harley community rider? Ooh, that's a good one. There's a lot of creativity there. Yeah, there is. Um, I just saw one recently, actually, it was a friend of mine sent it, um, uh, actually from Prague and it was, it was literally the Milwaukee eight engine. I mean, my favorite mainly cause the, this, the work was incredible and it was a complete back piece. Um, so that was just, it was just, so for so our listeners who don't know, the Milwaukee work. engine has what significance? Um, so this is our new uh, V-twin engine that we launched uh, a couple of years ago. So it's very iconic. The shape of our V-twin is very iconic. So it literally covers this entire gentleman's back. Um, so it's a pretty powerful side of tattoo. I think the ones that are my favorites, though, are the ones where they have a story associated with it. So, um, you know, I, I myself have a lot of tattoos. Everything has a meaning to it. Um, some are memorial tattoos. Some others are, you know, um, connected to, um, you know, things I believe in in my life. So I, I love it when I see um, some of the creativity around that with people putting friends or family members or whatever on their, mm -hmm. on their bodies. And it's, a, it's an honor to have as a brand to have somebody 
make that kind of lifelong commitment. There are a few in the world that few in the world gender that. Yeah, we'll talk and about I know where I know where one of the top, if not the top, brand that's tattooed on people's bodies. So yeah, for sure. Yeah. So you've been at Harley Davidson five years. Now? Yeah, about five and a half years. years, I think. Now. So have you gotten any tattoos since then that are related to the brand? Um, I had several when I came in, and I have uh, I have one more that I'm I'm working on right now for my back, which is associated with the brand. Yeah. You didn't want to say any more about that? No. We're keeping it right. <laughs> I tried. <laughs> But, so uh, yeah. your grandfather was a, not a Harley rider, but he was a rider mm-hmm. and he, he understood, he got it about riding. Yeah. So if uh, he's no longer with us. Yeah. So you would think if, if he were here and what would his, his advice be to you as head of marketing, CMO for Harley Davidson? I think I, I, I'd like to think he's very proud of what we're doing today um, because we're trying to have more people understand the power of riding. Um, he actually wasn't the only one in my family. My grandmother rode in the 30s, which I only found out fairly oh, recently. <laughs> Any pictures of that? And and well, we had a um, when I was a kid, one of our houses burned down, which included my grandmother's stuff that got burned. But we're looking desperately looking for pictures because she was part of a club in Scotland, um, and it was during World War II when there were a lot of women going out and working and whatever. So she started riding then and kept riding. Um, but I think for Granddad, it was you know he was he was such a proponent of riding and getting outdoors and and the power and the benefits of riding, I think he'd be happy about what we're doing today. I mean, a lot of the work that we're doing with the brand now is to try and help people understand that riding is actually something that can benefit you um, in lots, in many ways. Um, You know, we just did this clinical study with UCLA last year um, that proves out that actually riding a motorcycle uh, reduces your stress hormone, the cortisol stress hormone. And is equivalent to riding for 20 minutes is the equivalent of 17 minutes of jogging. And it's far more enjoyable wow. <laughs> as somebody who's not a runner. <laughs> so, but there's so lots of So what department did that research at UCLA? Was it like neuroscience or something? Neuroscience, yeah. 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 And so we're continuing to sort of look at that and, um, and see what else we can, we can do. But the benefits of riding really do um, are really pretty powerful, actually, for people. I mean, it's, it's something that we know intuitively as riders, mm-hmm. um, but to actually have it proven out by science. And to explain it, right? And to explain it, yeah, 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 I think so. But it has a lot to do with the fact that your senses are all sort of lined up in, in the same, uh, in the same order. You're engaged, you're focused, you're presence, mm-hmm. uh, you're present, and and uh, and it's that mix of adrenaline, but also being very much in the zone, mm-hmm. um, which is very unique. So, all right, the speed date's over. We're now getting into your job. <laughs> okay, so you're the CMO of one of the iconic brands of the world. There are very few that have this kind of stature. So it's a great job. Yes. It's not an easy job. No. It's a great job, though. So I want you to help our listeners understand what is it that you do? You know, what is the work? If you had to sort of split it into a pie chart, what would those pieces be? So there's, there's several things. One of the reasons it's a great job, um, it has heavy responsibility with it. So as I said, we're 116 years old, so you don't want to be the CMO that's, that's there when we don't do things the right way. There's a lot of um, responsibility to make sure the brand continues. For me, it's, um, we, are, we are customer obsessed, I would say, at Harley. So um, a big part of what I do during the day is to be the voice of the champion of the customer and making sure that we're driving real customer insight into everything that we're doing with the team. Um, I lead an amazing team. Um, that is the one thing I've been very proud of in my career and, and the team at Harley are, are no different. And, and what I love about working at Harley Davidson is I work with 
best in the business in engineering and design and manufacturing and mar- marketing. We're a pretty- Are you all co-located? You're all in the same place? Um, we're, we're not physically in the same building. So like there's one of our, I work in the Juno building, which is one of the original um, mm-hmm. buildings from, um, from way back in the early 1900s. But um, and then we have our product development center, which is really state of the art. But we come together as integrated teams Which very are close, often. Very, physically close. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very collaborative environment. So we work together around new products and as well as the marketing side of things. And that's what I love about working at Harley too. So my work is, um, you know, is really is really leading the teams around, um, especially as we think through now our new growth strategy with more roads to Harley Davidson, which we launched last year. Thinking through how do we reach our new customers while um, paying attention and engaging our current customer base, which is so important to us as well. And then helping, um, I see my role as sort of inspiring people to push and challenge ourselves to do things differently um, Mm -hmm. from there too. So it's a, um, my work day to day is leading the team doing that. It's really making sure that we're right in the middle of planning season right now um, and making sure that we are seeing every opportunity that we can to, to drive the brand forward. Mm -hmm. What do you love most about your job? The people, actually. Um, I love the fact that we are, I love the fact that we are very customer focused, which means we get to spend a lot of time with the customers. So we don't, we don't sit in the office all day. And that's We're actually rewarded by the company, right? They encourage you to yes, do that. Yes, and That's absolutely. not the case in every organization. No, it's not. And it's, and it, and I wish it was because it's incredibly powerful. It's inspiring um, and powerful. Yeah. You don't, I mean, you don't really understand, you know, riding with our customers is a big deal. Um, actually, you know, we, we, have a com- we have a saying at, at Harley-Davidson of walking in the boots of those we serve. So being with our riders, being with our dealer network as well, and, and making sure that we understand what they are going through every day and how they're helping serve our customers is, uh, is the best experience you could possibly get. And especially as an executive, because I think in a lot of companies, when you get to executive level, you get even further away from the customer. And it's actually quite the opposite at Harley. Um, and I, and I love that because there's nothing more empowering and inspiring when you stand in front of a customer. And I just had the experience at Sturgis recently when I was out there and we had our first, um, live wire consumer demos. So we had the people being able to get on that bike and try it for the first time and to watch people get off the bike on the other end and the grins on their faces. There's nothing like that. I mean, that's just, that's just gold dust. Yeah. So you've yeah. obviously ridden the new bike, the yes. electric bike. What's yeah. the experience? Um, it is, I explained this to um, some press recently. I said, it's the, it's, the, it's the bike that makes me feel most like the first time I ever got on two wheels and took off. Uh, it's, it's like a, it's, it's such an adrenaline thrill because it's like instant torque. So you take off immediately. Um, this is a high performance motorcycle and it's, uh, it's an, it's an incredible amount of fun because it's literally just twist and go. You don't have any clutch. There's no gears to change. Um, so you can really just focus in on the ride and it's, um, it's one of the most exciting bikes I've ever ridden. Actually. What's the sound? Um, it has a sound, so it has a very distinct sound. It's more like a turbine, like a, a jet turbine than it is anything else. So, you know, we're known for our very unique sound. Um, so a lot of people are questioning that, but this is just a different form of sound for us. And, and I, I love what our CEO says. He says, it's not about the sound of the bike, the sound the bike makes. It's about the sounds you hear, mm. um, because you can literally be riding, you know, in staggered formation with somebody and you can talk to them and be able to hear each other. It was <laughs> so, a very different experience. Very different yeah. experience. Yeah. Um, but you know, great handling bike, um, and a ton of fun, just mm-hmm. a ton of fun. And that whole space, that whole electric um, segment for me is, and for the company is very exciting because as we get 
new people coming into riding who may not have driven a manual car before and don't know how to you know figure out the gear thing you don't have to worry about that um so it's a it's a way for us to get more people into riding sure sure so we're talking about your job and what's important and we talked about the company a bit but i want to flip into this area that's uh all the rage now and that's brand purpose Mm. right i'm very happy to see that maybe what was a fringe idea decades ago is now mainstream and now everyone's trying and finding their way and trying to be authentic and use it to serve others and build their brand and look back and look forward I mean, Harley Davidson was doing this before anyone was calling it. Right. It was it's sort of built into the founders. But I want you to talk about this concept of brand purpose. How has it evolved at your company? What's the state of it today? What's been the arc of the purpose of the company over its tenure? Mm-hmm. And and what could others learn from your journey on that? I yeah. mean, at PNG, we yeah. used to study you. Right. And how you saw your riders in your community and how you manage the brand. And in fact, one of the books that we published about our brand building model had you in the cover. Right. Right. Yeah. And we're, we're definitely the. So you'd be a pioneer in this space. I just love to hear you speak about what others could learn about your journey. Yeah. And what is the status today? Yeah. So, and we've been making quite a lot of headway and sort of evolving where we're going. So our, our company purpose is about fulfilling dreams of personal freedom. And that's been with the company for many, many years. And that's, if you go all the way back to the founders, that's really what it was about. Um, it was articulated, um, clearly articulated, you know, uh, quite a number of years ago. I think that I, what I believe is very different, this is just very different about working at somewhere like Harley Davidson that um, is very unique. Um, when you reflect on, when I reflected on why I went there and what was different about that work environment, it's that I am surrounded by people who share the same values that I do because they buy into what this brand is all about. And you can ask anybody from whether they work on the manufacturing line or in finance or sales operations or marketing or whatever, um, why do you come to work every day? Uh, It's in service of our riders and it's to fulfill those dreams of personal freedom. Um, And it's not just something that sits in a a meeting room. It's actually really felt uh, deep into the heart and soul of the the employees and and our dealer network. And uh, I think that's a really powerful thing. How it's evolving, though, I mean, freedom is one of those things that's become um, a a term that's become a little fraught recently. But thinking about what does that actually mean today? uh, How is that relevant today? So it's what do we what do we really stand for as a company? So um, we talk about we stand for unity. We've always stood for unity as a company. We're about bringing people together. You think about the passion and the power of our customer base. They come together regardless of socioeconomic background, gender, race, ethnicity, not, none of that matters when you're together. It's all about motorcycling and love of motorcycles. Um, we're about the rebel spirit, so we've always had that in our history. And, um, and that shows up in different ways today, um, potentially, but it's really about rebelling for something that you, that you, really, um, that you really believe in. We, are, we stand up for individuality. We welcome um, and this is one of the things, one of the evolutions I think of the brand is trying to make sure that people understand we, we welcome you to come as you are. We welcome um, you from all walks of life. Um, this is a brand that is in, inclusive and we, um, we pay a lot of attention to that. Um, and, and so we, we're, what we're doing is actually breaking down that concept of personal freedom and being a little bit more explicit about what that means so we can, we can reach more people and build that emotional connection with people today. But I think the power of it is, you know, literally that every individual in the company believes in their heart and soul that this is, um, this purpose is part of 
who they are and what they bring to work every day. And they know what they, you know, what their contribution is to that. It's not just something that sits on a wall in a meeting room, but actually they can feel what that, whether that, again, whether you're on the manufacturing line and you're building the bikes or whether you're in finance that's paying the bills, that's enables us to do that. Um, or whether you're working in my team as well. So that's, that's the power. You're thing. a special brand, right? You probably attract people who are interested in your brand purpose, but also the product and the experience yeah. and so on. So what would be your advice for someone who is in a category maybe with less emotional power to enact some of these concepts? What would be your advice? If you got plopped in a CMO of a different category, mm -hmm. a different brand that didn't have the inherent emotional connection to the experience and product and brand that you have, what would you, how would you instill some of that? Well, I don't, it's always interesting for me and it has to be authentic for sure. And I love what, you know, you talked to me about when we came in about Wendy Clark going right down to the, you know, right back to the beginning of mm -hmm. DDB and who you are. And I, I would say for every brand, that's a good idea. And if you've got new brands, you know, why did this brand exist or why was it brought to life? Um, I would, I would challenge anybody that it doesn't matter what category, category you're in, there is some form of emotional connection that you can make with the customer, whether that's what you, what your product does for them or how it fits into their lives and everything. And you worked on Pampers. So, you know, there's, I, I swear that there's, there's something there. You just got to keep digging. It's you, if you, if you don't believe that your product can have an emotional connection with a the consumer, then you probably shouldn't be in the role that's trying mm -hmm. to, you know, figure that out. Um, I think every category has the opportunity to do that, mm -hmm. but I'm a, I'm a big fan of brand archeology span and going back to the beginning and, and figuring out, even if that's only, two years or whatever is why did this, why does this exist in the first place? Mm -hmm. Everybody yeah. should have a purpose of some sort. I was with uh, Julia Golden, who's the CMO of Lego mm -hmm. this summer. Yeah. And she walked me through, obviously it's a very purpose inspired brand and also a brand with great connect, emotional connection, just like yours. Uh, and she talked about how they measure it, you know, and they measure kind of their, their impact on play, their impact mm. on the planet, right? their impact on partners because creative partners are so, so important for them. So she talked about sort of what their KPIs are right. in measuring their progress against right. their purpose. Do you have any insights on how you think about, you know, are you making a bigger impact on people's sense of freedom because of your brand and how you might measure that? How do you know you're making progress? I know it's a tough one. Yeah, it is a tough one. It's actually interesting though, because when we, when we measure brand relevance, we actually, we split it up into two, two things. One is, one is, um, personal connection the other one's emotional significance because this is a this is a brand that um has great emotional significance in culture it's an iconic brand and so if we just um if we just stay with that that's great and people may say and and you can ask anybody like oh this harley's a really cool brand what we need to do is really build that personal connection for people and find a way to connect on that level so we measure both um as a way to determine whether we're actually making an impact on people and the brand so you know, if, if personal freedom is a really important thing to you, that's great. Um, how does that then connect to Harley Davidson and to you personally? And can we then bring you in on the brand that way? So we, we push for that. Lego's an interesting one, and I, I really admire what they've been doing. We just um, started a partnership with them, actually. They just built us a, a build kit for a fat boy. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. Is it on the market? It's on the market and it's been selling like hotcakes. So it's, I uh, bet. yeah, yeah. So it's, and it's a great thing for people to do with their, with their kids. And that's part of the, you know, it's one of their expert builds and that's part of the, pro uh, part of the reason we wanted to partner, but also because they're an amazing brand. And, and we know from our research too, if you plant the seed with people really early, um, there's a chance that they, 
you know, they'll find their way oh, to riding later part. too. So. How long did it take to get this off the ground, this partnership with Lego? Um, I think it was like we started talking to them last year and then uh, so it really quickly. got going in 2019. Yeah, yeah. And there'll um, be a chapter two of this perhaps? Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. yeah, I'd love it to be. Yeah, they've been fantastic partners to deal with and uh, and to work with. So I'm, I'm excited to see what we can do. Oh, fantastic. We've all been there. You spend millions of dollars each year driving traffic to your company's website and then... The results come in and they're just not what you hoped. On top of that, 81% of marketing leaders say website ownership is a challenge. So what do you do? Well, you switch to Webflow. Let me tell you why. Webflow's visual first platform empowers your team to own your company's most valuable dynamic marketing asset, your website. From launching a new site to optimizing for SEO and conversions, Webflow gives you the tools you need to drive business growth fast. Unlock your website's full potential when you build, manage, and host with Webflow. Get started today at webflow.com. So I want to flip into the lessons you're learning on whatever you want to call it, reinvigorating a brand mm. or accelerating. I mean, I've worked on brands that needed reinvigoration. Yeah. Old Spice, Pampers, um, many since PNG, since I left PNG, but a lot in PNG. No. Every brand has ups and downs, just yeah. like we all do in our yeah. life. So you're in an interesting cycle right now, you know, and you've made, I think, some pretty bold goals about new riders, yep. about new revenue, about young riders. And I've seen some data recently that your young rider progress is pretty good. Mm -hmm. So, so tell us what you've learned in this experience. You know, how do you start? How do you keep a team focused? How do you challenge the status quo? Um, how do you read the early signs that the brand needs reinvigoration? Right, right. So just what have you learned as a leader on this journey? And I know it never stops, but no, you know, and you're in process. the, you know, you're working it, yeah. but just what have you learned so far? If you had to sort of give us two, three, four lessons, stories yeah, that I others think, could benefit from. Yeah, I think the, the, the number one, one for me would be not being complacent about your customer and following your customer and how your customer's evolving. So if you can, you can get very easily get stuck in, and things are moving so fast these days, but you can get very easily stuck in, this is our customer, you know, it gets put onto a PowerPoint deck, it gets presented and they say, oh, that's it, we're done for now and then we'll keep moving on. And again, it comes back to us being out with our riders and in service to our riders as we're spending a lot of time with them, not just people who are in the brand today, but people who are our future consumers and staying really tight with what... Um, what their lives are like and how we as a brand can fit into their lives and not the other way around. And in many cases, you know, there's, um, the world is changing, technology is changing there, you know, things around them are changing, but people fundamentally are the same. So we're learning and, and making sure all of the insights remain, uh, within there so that we can, we can follow that through. And then, you know, developing products and programs and everything and experiences that will help to do that. And then just never being, you know, we have a, uh, process of continuous improvement at Harley too. So once we're done with one thing, we'll reflect on what worked, what didn't work, and then what's next. How do we how do we raise the bar and continue to raise the bar? And I think um, you know not not being complacent is the is the big message there. Is you know even though we're 116 years old, we're that way because we've continued to evolve over mm -hmm. time. And we are I would say we're a timeless brand, and we like to talk about ourselves as a timeless brand, which means we have to be relevant at all points in time. Um, and that takes work, making sure you're staying close to your customer uh, and from there too. And then, I mean, for us, I'll be honest, 
part of it's busting myths about what this brand is all about. Um, people get very deep-rooted beliefs on particular brands, especially one of ours that's been around in culture for so long. So how do we actually tell our story um, and do storytelling in a way that helps them understand that we have, you know, an enormous diverse community of people who are part of this company and part of this brand for a reason. And, and that's one of the reasons why we've been successful with young adults and bringing them into the brand too, um, making sure they can see themselves in the brand. Mm -hmm. And then um, again, I have the, the benefit of an amazing product development community that are bringing to life some new new products and new segments that are um, building excitement, continue to build excitement around us and keep us in the forefront of people's minds. So what do you think are the biggest myths that you had to sort of, the toughest part I think about reinvigoration is what do you hold on to? Yes. And what do you let go of? Yeah, and that's where the, that's where the courage comes in is what do you, what do you let go of? Um, and I think for us, you know, myths around the fact that we have a rider that's a very one-dimensional type of rider um, which is not true. So we've been spending quite a lot of time making sure that stories of our writers are actually out there and we're telling that story about our diverse community that we have. Um, and then, you know, there's, I would say over the years, like people start to add things onto the brand. You've got to shed all those layers away. So as we get the the new brand work that we've been doing now is really sort of setting the scene of what Harley Davidson is all about and has always been. Um, and, and shedding some of the layers on some of the stereotypes and busting through some of those things that have formed over the years that press love to have, uh, yeah, I know <laughs> their moment. <laughs> Is there a, an important new capability you've had to create or build in, on this journey? Could you do it with the, your current organizational capabilities and people, or is there a sort of a, uh, and you know, did you have to create something new, whether it's on consumer understanding or consumer experience or product development or yeah i think from a um like any uh marketing group these days performance marketing is extremely important so maybe hadn't been in the past but certainly has been I'm a very data-driven marketer so um we are you know continuing to establish that team and get that team um rolling so we can make sure that every dollar that we're spending is impacting the business in a positive way um the process of product development i would say has been in many ways, it's been the same since this company began. Because um, even back in the in the 30s and 40s, our founders were taking bikes out and showing them to people and asking them what they thought. We do it with a little bit more science these days, but essentially we're doing the same thing. Um, and because we do that, I think that's where we, you know, we're successful. We're investing money in, in new spaces and new products that are, um, you know, what we have been, you know, researching for a number of years, and then making sure that. You know, when we're getting into some of these new segments where there are existing segments that we're coming into, we're coming in very much as Harley Davidson. Like, what do we bring to the table? Um, so it's very much about the ethos of the brand and what we create around it, not just the, not just the motorcycle itself. Mm -hmm. So when you come into a new segment, it needs to be a statement. Needs yes. to, it needs to have points of difference. Yeah. It needs to be on brand. And a point of view. And a point and of view. And a point of view, which is important too. Otherwise, we're just coming in as, as just as anybody else. Um, and I think that's what we've done with, you know, we didn't with, with the electric space, we're, we're moving into the adventure touring market, which is a, a big market in, um, uh, Europe in particular, it's a smaller market here, but it's growing. Um, and we're going to enter that category as Harley Davidson, very much as Harley Davidson. So there'll be a, a point of view there. And I think that's, you know, this is what draws people into our products too, is there is a character, there's a personality, um, to what we bring to the market. It's not just. Uh, not just the machine, but it, it's what comes around that. And it's the community that comes with that too. 
Mm-hmm. It's really important to people. Personality and character, I totally get. When you say point of view, is it sort of a point of view by product or a point of view by the customer or a point of view in? Yeah, I mean, I think our customers, uh, if I think about the adventure touring space, for example, um, you know, it's uh, we want to have people understand our point of view on adventure touring, which is around exploration. And it's not about um, conformity. It's about, you know, being an individual and going places that people wouldn't go and measuring your success in your tour on the miles that you've ridden and some of those things. So it's it's giving a point of view on what we believe in as a brand in that space and then drawing people in based on that. So brand reinvigorations are never linear. Mm-mm. There are setbacks. So how do you how do you how do you help the organization get through setbacks and not lose their confidence, not lose faith in the strategy? Because there are inevitable setbacks. You don't miss you don't meet a goal or right, right. an investor makes noise or whatever it might be. How do you keep it going forward and keep the confidence? Yeah, and I I think we're again, we're blessed to have the history that we've got and reminding ourselves of the periods in our history that we've been through world wars and depressions and recessions. And, you know, we are here and we are strong um, and we are, um, we're, we're actually a thriving brand. And I think that helps people as a touchstone, if you will, um, of the things that we've been through in the past. So having that history really helps us. Um, And then we are a, you know, we're a relatively, um, as I said, we're a very integrated company. We're a smaller company that in many ways that, you know, everybody is emotionally invested in the, in the success of this company. And I think, again, that's one of the reasons why we are successful because we have a, an employee base and a dealer base that is emotionally invested in the success of this brand. So, um, you know, everybody will go through rough times from time to time, but having the, um, the benefit of our history and what we've been through in the past, um, we know, and we know we have a very bright future coming with um, everything that we're doing with our more road strategies. So that's particularly exciting. It's, the, it's one of the most exciting, I would say, one of the most exciting times to be at the company. You know, as a marketer, you never really want to be in a company that's just like managing, well, I don't, managing mm-hmm. status quo. Sure. Um, this is a big period of change for us as a brand. And, uh, you know, we're showing great signs of success so far and it's only just started so i'm, I'm really excited to be part of that part of that the future. more road strategy i mean for our listeners could you tell them sort of what few choices you've made there and what you're most excited about i mean it's yeah. an internal strategy right yeah it's an internal strategy it's our growth strategy yeah. so it's uh it's based on actually now four things so based on um, new products and new segments. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, it's based on broader access, so giving more people access to the brand. So that's in many cases, that's um, markets outside the U.S. that so we're opening up um, the opportunity for people to be part of the Harley-Davidson brand and new formats and new retail formats. Um, it's about strengthening our dealers um, to make sure that they are welcoming a um, whole new group of consumers that haven't been part of this brand before and helping them to really realize their, their business goals and their dreams as well. And then uh, the last part of that, which is probably one of the most important parts, is amplifying the brand. So, you know, really investing behind the brand, helping people understand uh, the power and the significance of Harley-Davidson and what it can bring to their lives and how riding can benefit them. So it's, a, it's our internal rallying cry in many ways. And, um, uh, you know, some of those new products are coming to market. Livewire was one of the first in, the first in our electric portfolio. We've got um, more to come and then some new segments that are coming next year as well. So it's that's helped, I think, the organization, you know, we're, we're all rallied around that strategy and, and uh, everybody has a contribution to make in that. So uh, the brand piece, I have to say, I'm very excited about. Excited about 
No, it, so- it sounds great. I mean, it sounds yeah. really solid. And um, so anyway, I wonder, we could go on for a long time about the brand. I'd love to, but I want to close with a little bit more about you as a leader. Mm-hmm. And so a little bit, you know, it's kind of a rolling thunder session. I've heard <laughs> you talk about the most underutilized asset is courage. Yes. And you've talked about courage a bit in our time together today. Talk a bit more about what that means to you and your team. Yeah. So, and I think, you know, again, I, I say when, when, you, when you're working on a brand that's 116 years old, it comes with a heavy responsibility um, to make sure that you can continue that for, for many years to come. And in some cases that can be, for some people, can be paralyzing. You don't want to change anything because you want to make sure that everything just stays the same and keeps going. But we have to evolve and change and, and, uh, and adapt. And so for my team and for me as a leader, it's continually pushing the team to think about, okay, what, what else can we do? How can we do this better? How can we raise the bar? What would be unexpected for us in this space, but very true to who we are as a company? Um, and just making sure I can, you know, help the team uh, realize the true potential of what we can do. And then, you know, measuring success and seeing that, in, and it, it works when you start to see things working and then we move on to something else, but just really pushing the team in a, in a, in a place where we can be a bit more courageous about what we do. And, and I, from my career, have, um, I think as, uh, as a leader in general, I love to see the potential in people and try and unleash that and stretch and challenge people to do things that maybe they wouldn't have thought they could do um, and give them a safe environment to do that. So. Um, so you're okay with failure and learning from failure and experimentation. Sometimes you win, sometimes you learn. Yeah, that's a great <laughs> saying. Yeah. So yeah. Um, one of my favorite books, the alchemist, but, yeah. um, but I, th- I think, you know, if, as long as you learn from it, I think it's not a, it's not a failure and mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's kind of an overused term of like, you know, fail fast and move on. But, but it's so true. Um, and I think we, you know, it's the only way you get better. Is easy by easy to say, hard to do actually. Yeah, it is. Yeah. You spent a lot of years in the, on the ad agency side mm-hmm. and the direct response side earlier in your career. Yeah. And, uh, so actually many more years on that side of the business than the client side. So I'd like to ask you, what about that prepared you for this role? Well, I think I think lots of things. So I actually came from the airline business originally. Yep. So and, British Airways, yeah, right? British yeah. Airways, and I um, I took the leap into the agency side of the business. Rap Collins, DDB, Rap Collins. So I came BBDO, into right? yeah, BBDO, yeah, um, and then back to DDB. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had um, when I was working on the airline side of the business, I was intrigued by the agency side and made the leap. And I I came in through Rap Collins, which I think was probably a nice sort of safer step for me because came from a very corporate structured environment into a much more sort of um, rigorous sort of structured, I guess, agency side of things um, and then move from there. And I, what I loved about the agency side was being able to apply what I'd learned through the airline business, obviously, into lots of different kinds of industries. It really threw me into a major learning curve on different categories. I was in a new country. I didn't really know um, people here either. So it was fantastic. I think it le- it teaches you how to be um, you know, how to adapt quickly, how to be agile. I mean, that's what agencies do, the variety of things that we got, um, working on everything from new business um, to um, what I was very, very, very lucky to work on uh, in the last part of my agency side at DDB was running the global business for Mars, who were a spectacular client mm-hmm. um, and uh, worked on brands like Skittles and Starburst, which was a lot of fun too. So um but it's, you know, again, I think at the heart, and I've always been a, a big believer in like finding out why people do things. I'm always um, very curious about people and, and how they behave. And so with that at the root of everything I did on the agency side, I really enjoyed my experience there and um, 
I wouldn't I wouldn't change that for the world. And I, I love being on the client side at Harley now and I've taken hopefully taken all of that experience with me and helping to to drive that customer obsession into the work that we do. One or two most important mentors along the way for you in your career? Yeah, and some maybe unintentional, <laughs> I think. So I had some great mentors. I have some fantastic bosses in my career. Um, one of them was a gentleman called Dale Moss, who used to be the head of British Airways in the U.S. He was actually the first uh, board of directors, uh, first board member on the board of directors at BA. He was American. Um, and he he was the one that put it in my head about coming to live here and sort of said, I said, well, I, you know, he said, have you thought about it? And I said, well, you know, I, I don't I don't know. And he goes, well, what's the worst that can happen? And good question. You know, and he said, well, you can always move back if you don't like it. Why don't you come for a while and see if you like it? So I dropped everything and moved and best thing I ever did. And, um, and he was a great, great inspiration, um, for me. And then I've had bosses that I won't name them that weren't great, but showed me what I don't want to be as a leader. Right. And I think yep. that's also a an great important lesson as well. Yeah. yeah. Important lesson. Um, and then I would say family members, people like my dad and my granddad were big mentors for me too. Beautiful. So last question, what are you most proud of to date in your time at Harley Davidson? Oh, um, I, I think my team, I would say my team um, and the work that we've done, particularly in the last year, we've made a lot of strides in um, bringing more, uh, more focus around data and uh, technology and pulling more technology into our group. Um, the work that we've done to um, develop the, the brand work that's going to be coming out in the next six months or so and some of the work that we did with you, Jim, too. Um, very proud of that because it feels very Harley Davidson, but feels very fresh and contemporary at the same time. Um, and I'm I'm particularly happy with uh, and proud of the work that the team has done. So, promise. Last question: Who would you <laughs> love to hear on the podcast? Well, you took Wendy Clark from me. Yeah, <laughs> right. and she's dynamite. Um, yeah, it was a great, great recording session. Um, Deborah Wall would be interesting too. I, I agree with that. Yeah, yeah. I met her when she was because she just. Turn yeah. into a new job, and I we met need her. To give her a few months, I think, in that yeah. job. Yeah, yes. but I'd be new really global interested. global CMO of General Motors, by the way. So yeah. really interesting. Which is a you know a fantastic yep. role for her. And I I met her briefly when she was working on Cadillac, and was super impressed with mm. her. And I'd be really interested to see, um, you know, what's the the difference between moving from single brand to multi brand, and how she copes with that. And it's you know that's a very male dominated environment, and she's uh, she's done an amazing job. So I'd be excited to. Yeah. See what she has to say. Well, we want to give you goosebumps going out of this wonderful <laughs> interview. So can we kind of let it rip, let it roar? Makes me want to go on the bike again. So. <laughs> thank you, Heather. Yeah, thank that you so splendid. much. That was really thank wonderful. You. That was my conversation with Heather Malinchek. There were so many lessons in here about reinvigorating a brand, how to expand the kind of appeal of your brand, what I loved most about the conversation was talking about her grandfather and how he got her interested in riding and mechanics, and he's still very fundamental to Heather as a person and as a leader. That's it for this episode of the CMO Podcast. If you found this helpful and entertaining, I would be so grateful if you could share our show with your friends. And I would be super happy if you subscribed so you can be updated as we publish new episodes. And if you really want to help, Leave us a five-star rating and a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. The CMO Podcast is a Gallery Media Group original production.